With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening. Welcome to Eldest Tar- Targeted Individual Community Call. It's Thursday, June 16, 2016. Um, I want to cover something because actually Nigel covered it last night and he told me about this article. Uh, that was in the New York Times in reference to gang stalking. And what was really interesting about it, not only because it's a standard uh, standard operating procedure and narrative to make us look like we're complete lunatics, but what I really found interesting about this article was that, you know, you have people who believe in aliens and the Illuminati and, um, you know, this religious fundamentalism type of thing, and yet they don't call them mentally ill. These people believe in Satan, you know, and they believe in all this con- true conspiracy things that there's no basis, and, or, and alien abductions and satanic rituals and, you know, uh, sacrifices and all this other stuff. And these people, you don't hear them ever going after them the way they, went out, they have gone after targets. So obviously, we're on the right track and that the victims of these crimes are have been documenting things that are showing material evidence to what's transpiring. Because I've never seen when you, you know, you talk about someone that you are so, I mean, this article is some of the most negative stuff I've ever read about the TI community. But like I said, you don't ever hear them giving a New York Times article to all these people who, who, who um, you know, believe in aliens. They just call them conspiracy theorists. They don't call them mentally ill or schizophrenic or paranoid delusionals. People who believe in God, someone that they've never seen before, but they act like he, he is the one. And everything he says is the absolute truth. Based on a book that was written 1,500 to 2,000 years after the fact. The man was probably more like a Gandhi. But by the time the book was written, you know, he could raise the seas. He could rise from the dead. But they don't call those people delusional or mentally ill. So what is it about that article that is so pinpointing? I mean, it's so negative. Yet you have all these you know, the Illuminatis, the Bilderberg, blah, 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 blah. But none of those people are mentally ill. So I'm going to read you the first, the article was the United States of Paranoia, um, and it was in the New York Times uh, by Mike McFate, M-C-F-P-H-A-T-E, June 10, 2016. It was posted in the health section. So it's a health issue, apparently. Why don't they get all these Christian fundamentalists who believe that the word, uh, the word in the Bible is the absolute word? That's delusional thinking. Have they ever seen God? Did God talk to them personally and tell them this is the truth? No. 
my bottom line on most of those Christians who believe the word of man and not the word itself, if Jesus came, we all know that the handlers or the pastors or the deacons would tell you that that's not Jesus, and Jesus would either be targeted, stuck in a mental institution, or crucified. So Schopenhauer said this, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. And third, it is accepted as being self-evident. So truth. Not narratives that are shaped by handlers or psi operators or narrative network teams. <clears throat> So the article reads, uh, United States of Paranoia, they see, gangs, uh, they see Gangs of Stalkers by Mike M.C. P.H.A.T.E. in the health section of the New York Times, June 10, 2016. Nobody believed him. His family told him to get help. But Timothy Trespass, an out-of-work recording engineer in his early 40s, was sure he was being stalked, and not just by one person, but dozens of them. He would see the operatives, he said, disguised as ordinary people lurking around his midtown Manhattan neighborhood. Sometimes they bumped into him and whispered nonsense into his ear, he said. Now you see how it works, they would say. At first, Mr. Trespass wondered if it was all in his head. Then he encountered a large community of like-minded people on the Internet who called themselves targeted individuals, or TIs, who described going through precisely the same thing. The group was organized around the conviction that its members are victims of a spawning conspiracy to harass thousands of everyday Americans with mind-control weapons and armies of so-called gangs, stalkers. The goal, as one gang-stalking website put it, is to destroy every aspect of the targeted individual's life, a growing tribe of troubled minds. Mental health professionals say the narrative has taken hold among a group of people experiencing psychotic symptoms that have troubled the human mind since the time immemorial. immemorial. Uh, Except now victims are connecting on the internet, organizing and defying medical explanation for what's happening to them. The community, con- conservatively estimated to exceed 10,000 members, has proliferated since 9-11, cradled by the internet and fed by genuine concerns over government surveillance. A large number appears to have delusional disorders or schizophrenia, psychiatrists say. So let's, 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 let's talk about, we're, we're going to go into the discrediting of the psychiatric community. And I got plenty of information. This article is one. I got tons of stuff that I just posted on the discrediting of the psychiatric community and their work with the United States Department of Defense, the White House, and the CIA. And by the way, how are these, how are these psychiatrists going to explain how I was published years before the Snowden leaks? Yet I identified the names of the operations before the Snowden leaks. I can I can go back to my website every single time. Published, published, published. Operation for operation in the surveillance world. I don't work for the government, but I'm a victim of their crimes. Yet the phenomenon remains virtually unresearched. 
For a few specialists who have looked closely, these individuals represent an alarming development in the history of mental illness. Thousands of sick people banded together and demanding recognition on the basis of shared paranoias. They raise money, hold awareness campaigns, host international conferences, and fight for their cause, causes in court and legislature. Perhaps their biggest victory came last year when believers in Richmond, California, persuaded the city council to pass a resolution banning space-based weapons that they believed could be used for mind control. A similar lobbying effort is underway in Tucson. So right here, this guy, I'm going to tell you right now that this reporter doesn't know his head from his ass, and all he did was speak to a few people. I've already covered shows about uh, the state of Washington. There's a park up there. The United States Department of Defense requested a permit to utilize the national forest for what they called the directed energy weapons training, land, sea, and air. That's not delusional. That's not paranoid delusions. These are people who were victims who talked about the weaponry long before the Department of Defense asked for a permit to deploy and execute all their gizmos and gadgets in the Washington National Forest. This is all documented. Land, sea, and air doing training on directed, with, with access to directed energy weapons. So this guy doesn't know his head from his ass, but I'm going to keep on talking shit about him, but I'm going to keep on doing this article. So the echo chambers of paranoia. Dr. Lorraine Sheridan, who is co-author of perhaps the only study of gang stalking, said the community poses a danger that sets it apart from other groups promoting troubling ideas, such as anorexia or suicide. On those topics, the Internet abounds with medical information and treatment options. And Internet search for gang stalking, however, turns up page after page of results that regard it as fact. What's scary for me is that there are no counter sites that try to convince targeted individuals that they are delusional, Dr. Sheridan said. So that what I have is a call to action on Dr. Sheridan. She's at Harvard. Let's see how much money she's making. Let's, let's see how much grant money she's getting in cognitive neuroscience and neurotechnologies. And let's trace it back to how many government agencies are funding Harvard. Behavioral science. Let's see how many times they requested grant money from the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency for the narrative network, how to radicalize people into extremism. They end up in closed ideology echo chamber, she said. In instructional tracks online, veterans of the movement explain the ropes to rookies. Do, you, do not engage with the voices in your head. If your relatives tell you you're imagining things, they could be in on it. Do not visit a psychiatrist. The tribe cuts across all classes and professionals and includes lawyers, soldiers, artists, and engineers. In Facebook forums and call-in support groups, they commiserate over the skepticism of their loved ones and share stories of black bands that circle the block or coworkers conscripted into the campaign. So coworkers, the, uh, San Francisco is trying to pass a resolution. It's called workplace mobbing, workplace harassment. It's a known phenomenon. That is, you go ask people working in post office. Go ask people who are getting ready to retire. How these young people start ganging up on them. How they're made to look like they're incompetent in the workplace. So again, this man doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Because obviously, he doesn't do his research. He just published it, maybe on behalf of some of these agencies that are trying to cover their tracks.
So again, it's like bullying on steroids in the workplace. I've covered all of it. That's how they went live at Sony Pictures Entertainment. It was, but I didn't know the name of it. It's called workplace mobbing, workplace harassment. It's all documented. They have self-publicized dozens of e-books with titles like Tortured in America and My Life Changed Forever. In hundreds of YouTube videos, they offer testimonials and try to document evidence of their stalking, even confronting unsuspecting strangers. They wanted to basically destroy me, and they did, a young mother in Phoenix says in one video, choking back tears. She lost custody of her daughter and was sent to a behavioral health hospital, says the woman whose name is being withheld to protect her privacy. But I am going to fight back for the rest of my life. She adds, and guess what? I'm not crazy. <laughs> Dr. Sheridan's study written with Dr. David James, a forensic psychiatrist, examined 128 cases of reported gang stalking. It found all the subjects were most likely delusional. So they studied them, but did they really have these people come in and were they really interviewed? Or did they just take the worst case scenarios? Because we've got a lot of people in the TI community who have been so traumatized that they believe that the demon, is, the devil's doing it. Or that aliens are doing it. Or they've been convinced. So they spew these type of narratives. Or it's God versus the devil that's going on right now. Spiritual warfare. You know all that crap? So are those the people that you talk to? Because those are the people who've been so traumatized that they can't see past their own. I mean, there's a guy who used to come into the shows, and he believed that we were reptilians. He spent two tours in Iraq during the, some of the most violent, bloody times, during the Fallujah. And he remembers picking up body parts. He remembers one, one time there was a handicapped Iraqi child, and one of the soldiers pushed him, pushed this kid, in front of a moving vehicle, and it killed the child. He suffered from severe, severe trauma. And he believed that we were reptilians. He was not religious when he went in, when he was in the military. But when he came out, he thought everybody was reptilians and became a religious fanatic. That's so much trauma that if they push a narrative to someone who's that traumatized, they will believe it. We haven't heard from him in a long time. And we don't know what they did to him in D.C. What is that? What is the hospital, the military hospital in D.C.? Walter Reed? And so we have to talk him down most of the time. We're not reptilians. This is not about the Satan. These are we're not shapeshifters. You you guys have been either too traumatized and you're so stuck in that world that you're not branching out into looking at the realities of what is transpiring. It is a government operated program. It is COINTELPRO on steroids and McCarthy-era blacklisting on steroids. So a mismatch of conspiracy theories. So here we go with the conspiracy theories. Must be the CIA involved with this article with the uh, New York Times. Perhaps unsurprisingly, 
The community is divided over the contours of the conspiracy. Some believe the financial elite is behind it. Others blame aliens, their neighbors, Freemasons, or some combination. The movement's most prominent voices, however, tend to believe the surveillance is part of a mind control field test done in preparation for global domination. The military establishment, the theory goes, never gave up on their ambitions of MK Ultra, the CIA's infamous program to control the minds in control control the mind in the 1950s and 60s. A leading proponent of the view is an anesthesiologist from San Antonio named John Hall. In his 2009 book, A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America, Mr. Hall gave his own account of being targeted. Agents bleached his water, he wrote, and bombarded him with voices making murderous threats. The book made a splash because the messenger, a licensed member of the medical establishment, who was telling those who feel targeted that psychiatrists were misleading them. A janitor knows as much about the human mind, he wrote. Mr. Hall, 51, was invited for an interview on Coast to Coast AM, a conspiracy-minded radio show based in California that is said to reach millions of listeners. After that, he said, I had probably three or 4,000 emails from people saying, it's happening to me in this, in this state. It's happening to me in Florida. It's happening to me in California. The similarities of the cases spoke to a wide-ranging campaign. He said, if the psychiatrists want to say that this is schizophrenia or delusional disorder, that's fine, he said, but every one of these victims have the same story. While Mr. Hall has faced scrutiny from the Texas Medical Board over his mental fitness, he retains his license. Over time, however, many others who identify as gang-stalking victims end up out of work. They are mocked by colleagues, tolerated by family, friends, and spouses fall away. A pretext for violence. So they think we're violent. But I've been targeted. Let me tell you something. The one thing about targeting that most people will break. Everyone breaks. Everyone can be broken. But it, it's in the first like six months. It it depends on what happens. So if you don't, if you don't, you'll either do it to yourself or you may lash out. But there's only two big cases that we know of, and they came forward, and nobody helped them. Both of them men, younger men, and I'm not saying younger men can not take it. But you have to understand the statistics are what 65 or more percent of the targeted individuals are females. And they're over the age of like they're in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. That means that they already knew when they were going to do these experimental protocols that most young men more than likely wouldn't be able to take it. So the men even in the, org- in the group are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. We have some younger ones, but very few. So if you're training personnel, if you're <coughs> if you don't if you want your trainees to be safe, you're going to utilize older people. And then any medical and any negative medical effects, they will just attribute it to age as opposed to what these weapons have done. So what we can say, I hate to say it, man, but women can take torture much better than men. So a pretext for violence, the despair that results has led some to lash out in violence. Many in the community, for example, are convinced that Aaron Alexis, who killed 12 people at the Washington Navy Yard in 2013, was a victim. Mr. Alexis, a former sailor, left behind a document accusing 
Alexis, who killed 12 people at the Washington Navy Yard in 2013, was a victim. Mr. Alexis, a former sailor, left behind a document accusing the Navy of attacking his brain with extremely low frequency. Electromagnetic waves. On the side of his shotgun were etched the words, My ELF Weapon. It was unclear when Myron May's mental distress began, but by the fall of 2014, it had become too much. He quit his job as a prosecutor in New Mexico and traveled to Florida. There, his, he videotaped a testimonial about how gang stalking had ruined his life. Uh, as you can see right now, he says in the, to the camera, I'm totally not crazy. Laying out his case, he described an episode at a gas station where he believed somebody in dark glasses was mimicking his movements. It was really creepy, he said. Everything I did, he did. Later in the video, he prays for forgiveness for his future sins. Father, he says, right now, I ask that you look down on all the targeted individuals across the globe. Help them to cope with this madness. On November 20, 2014, Mr. May walked into a library at Florida State University where he had graduated in 2005 and shot three people, leaving one paralyzed. He dared the police to kill him, then fired in their direction before being fatally shot. Officers, he said, uh, offer, officials said he was 31. The vast majority of people with psychosis never resort to violence. Still, studies suggest that a small number of those experienced psychotic episodes, especially paranoid thoughts accompanied by voices making commands, are more likely to act on hostile urges than people without a mental illness. Many of the TI community, as anyone would, have repudiated the shooting by Mr. Alexis and Mr. May, but some also harbor troubling views about their perceived oppressors. They question how people could be so cruel. Karen Stewart of Tallahassee, Florida, believes large numbers of regular people have been brainwashed by the National Security Agency into thinking that she is a traitor or terrorist. Whenever she goes, she's, wherever she goes, she says, to church, to the grocery store, to the doctor's office, they are there watching. It baffles her, she said, but worse, it makes me angry to see how many people in this country are sociopaths. They are absolute groupthink drones, she said. I don't even consider them human anymore. A need for mean, meaning. Susan Clancy, a Harvard-trained psychologist, who has researched people who believe they've been abducted by aliens, said it could be extremely difficult to dissuade patients who have latched onto beliefs that they think explain their delusion. I think it's a need for meaning and a need to understand your life and the problems you're having, she said. You're not some meaningless nobody. You're being followed by the CIA. In that way, Dr. Clancy said the behavior shares the trait with religious beliefs to abandon it would be life upending. Paula Trespass, Mr. Trespass' mother, said she avoided debating with him. It wasn't something that he was making up, she said. He really felt the way he felt and experienced what he experienced. I got to the point where I just finally, uh, I, I was just finally saying to him, I'm very, very sad that you have to go through this. I wish that there was something that I could do. The big hope is that society will wake up to what's happening and put a stop to it. Those who feel targeted say, in some cases, they do seek psychiatric help. In others, the delusion subsides. For the rest, the prognosis is not good, psychiatrists say. Many contemplate suicide. Mr. Trespass, now 49, says he went so far as to prepare a rope. Sitting at a coffee shop in Brooklyn last month, he says the stalking has thankfully quieted down, but he says his harassers have also been seeding his body with more gelons. So this is another conspiracy. 
You know, I don't know if, you know, they talk about Morgellons. I mean, maybe it is something, but I don't go into things like that. I talk about the technologies and the neurotechnologies and the organized um, stalking. Um, Morgellons, a painful insect-like infestation of the skin that many doctors say is psychosomatic. The online community has been a crucial support, he says, but we don't we don't know exactly what's happening, he says. Maybe we're believing the wrong thing. I don't know. That's why I try to keep my mind open about who and what and why or and how. One thing he is certain of, though, he says he's not crazy. So correction, June 13, 2016, an earlier version of this article misstated the professional title of Susan Clancy, who has researched people who believe they have been abducted by aliens. Dr. Clancy is a Harvard-trained psychologist, not a psychiatrist. So this is what this, this um, um, journalist wrote, and, uh, and it's, a nice, I mean, it's a huge article in the health section of the uh, New York Times. So what happened was someone read the article and in Pravda, are you, the person then went on to decide, well, I'm going to give my opinion about what this is all about. So it was in the opinion page of Pravda, are you, United States of Paranoia, surveillance of suspects or gang stalking targeted individuals, 6-13-2016, by William Edstrom, E-D-S-T-R-O-M. The police routinely do surveillance on suspects. We all know that. The DEA, the FBI, CIA, and a whole host of other agencies also do surveillance on suspects. What we don't know is how they pick their suspects, how they do surveillance, and how long do they do surveillance for. Without a doubt, the number of suspects has increased since September 11, 2001. The New York Times featured an article on June 10, 2016, titled United States of Paranoia. They see, gang, they see gangs of stalkers, which cast doubt on whether gangs could commit crimes like stalking, harassing, and worse, against targeted individuals or TIs, and repeatedly tries to plant seeds of doubt that TIs may be mentally ill, delusional, or psychotic. When we replace the phrase gang stalking with surveillance and the term targeted individual, with suspects, does anyone then think that suspects are mentally ill, delusional, or psychotic for realizing that surveillance teams are doing surveillance on them when surveillance teams are indeed doing surveillance on them? We don't know how many people are suspects because the police won't comment on ongoing cases. Ditto for federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies. Dr. John Hall, a documentary filmmaker, author, and expert on gang stalking, estimates that hundreds of thousands of Americans are currently being targeted. Or, I don't know why they use gang stalk, okay? Because I'm not being stalked by gangs in Salinas. I'm being stalked by community members who are given privileged information and private information about a private citizen. And it was all done through warrantless and illegal crimes. Um, we don't know how many how many police or federal agencies do surveillance on people because they won't see say how they do surveillance. On occasion, there is news about people who were indicted that revealed surveillance went on for years. That undercover officers masqueraded as underage girls online or as sexy young adults 
preying on lonely or excitable young men. Undercover officers pretending to be religious, frequenting mosques, asking nosy questions, offering freebies all around free food, free drinks, free cash, free vans, free weapons to religious people who pray often, yet live in economically cratering parts of the United States. There's congressional testimony from intelligence agencies, personnel about dark arts and honey traps, the specifics on how exactly they do surveillance, also known as their dark arts, on suspects in sketch is sketchy at best. Not so from the suspects. The targeted individuals, that is. Dozens of books have been written. Hundreds of gang-stalking survivor groups have formed, mainly online and thousands of sites and blogs exist on the topic. Just search terms like mind control, gang stalking, and targeted individuals, and you will find. The TIs describe being gang stalked, harassed many times a day, every day, abused, terrorized, brutalized, tortured, and many TIs memorialize other TIs who were killed. Descriptions get graphic and detailed, some with a unique vocabulary like directed conversations, gaslighting, mobbing, street theater, man-in-the-middle attacks, sleep deprivation, torture, and so forth. Directed conversations apparently are when police supervisors write out scripts for undercover officers or informants to recite in front of suspects. Gaslighting is when undercover officers or informants break into a suspect's home and move things around or do intentional damage to utilities, appliances, or clothes, for example. Actually, gaslighting, that's not what gaslighting is. Gaslighting, if you ever saw the movie, it's where um, the, things are moved around, but then when you ask, like when she was asking her husband in the movie Gaslighting, he would pretend like he, he didn't know what she was talking about. So what you're trying to do is break that person down psychologically by doing things like that. The stuff of moving things around in someone's house is called creepy crawl. And that term comes from Charles Manson and his family. And Charles Manson's family, before they started slaughtering people, because it always rises, the violence rises, to the point of slaughter for their handlers, was these, these young kids, you know, would go into people's houses, rich people's houses, and move furniture around. So that when they woke up in the morning or they came home, they noticed that their furniture was moved around. That term was coined, creepy crawl. Okay. And directed conversations, we're going to get in man in the middle, and I'll explain more about man in the middle and directed conversation. Mobbing is often at work when several coworkers have agreed to become police informants or snitches, and they mob, surround, and simultaneously bully a coworker, creating a hostile work environment. Some TIs, websites, and groups mention mobbing in other contexts like stores or in public. Suspects get enveloped by a swarm of irritating and menacing undercover officers or informants. So mobbing can also be um, like in your vehicle. Most of the teams work, they rarely ever work alone because they're too chicken shit, number one. So they always work in teams because it's like two, you, these people against you. That's why I always carry some type of docu- documenting device because now it's me and my recording and me and my video and whatever you try to claim to say against me because that's always two against one or three against one. But when you're driving, it's called 
the FBI term is called floating box. And what a floating box is, is when you have cars that will get in front of you and on the sides of you, and they box you in. You'll have people who will uh, pull out. They'll wait for you to approach, and then they'll pull out. So they have to slam on your brakes, or they'll intentionally slow down. These are all tactical operations. But these tactics come from these government agencies. So one suspect from New York reported being menaced by pit bulls. When he left home in the morning, there would be three pit bull owners chatting with each other, with their pit bulls blocking the front door, followed by the subway entrance being blocked by three other pit bull owners with their pit bulls, followed by horribly disfigured people getting onto the same subway car at the next stop, with handlers then loudly describing the pit bull's attack that left them so disfigured, and the subway exit being blocked by three pit bull owners with pit bulls and so forth. So what it is is that they'll tell their civilian sleeper self. They'll activate them. Anybody got a pit bull? Okay, this person's going to be here, here, and here. So you guys need to be out there, and then you need to direct your conversation. So what it is is power of suggestion, right? Power of association. So pit bull and disfiguring. These are all psychological tactics. You know, you can see that. Now you see me. There's a movie that they made about how they utilize these type of tactics. They call it men, uh, mentalist. But they're using them on people now to psychologically terrorize them or break them down. So this man has an association, Pitbull, with disfiguring. Power of suggestion, the dogs. Power of association, the disfigurement. This is going to happen to you. These are veiled threats. When you have veiled threats and forms of intimidation, what you have is terrorism. <laughs> Street theater is when police, and also this type of stuff that where they do that will be synchronization of colors. And I have a videotape where I was on La Brea, and everybody, all the, the recruits were told to wear a specific color. And so wherever I went, you see the color. But then what happened was I caught it on video. All these people around, and I was doing the color coordination, and then it's all synchronized. And then all of a sudden, I'm on the west side of L.A., and then you got those perps sitting right at the waiting, and they're all in the same color. And it's all documented. That's synchronization. So street theaters went police bosses plan out skits for undercover officers or informants to act out in front of suspects. One suspect reported about several such skits. For example, a couple of undercover officers, one with a camera, the other with a chalk drawing, outlines like the courses on the sidewalk while his partner snapped photos with flashes of the chalk outlines. Psy-ops or psychological operations is synonymous with street theater. Man-in-the-middle attacks are when someone texts a friend, but the text goes to an undercover officer who reads and relays all or part of the message to the friend. The friend responds, but the text also goes to the undercover officer who reads it, then relays part of or all of it to the suspect. Such man-in-the-middle attacks can also occur with online chats, emails, and some say calls with advanced computer programs that can mimic people's voices. Two men in the middle attack, one to listen to the suspect and the second in the next room to relay the message, all or part, to the suspect's friend. 
any unnatural seeming seeming pauses with text, chat, or calls may indicate man in the middle attacks. So we already know man in the middle from the Snowden leak. And what it is is that your your telecommunications or your internet connection goes to someone before it gets to there. And because we have quantum capabilities in the quadrillions and quadrillions of bits per second, that when I hit, so say I type in chase.com or bofa.com, the moment I hit the enter button, and you see how fast the, the site loads, They've already captured the site before you get there. And then suddenly you're not looking at the, the Chase or the B of A site. You're looking at their clone site. Man in the middle, in this case, they, we also, they also covered directed conversation. So, I can, I, so say, here's an example of what happens to targets. This is not delusional behavior. <laughs> you have a conversation and you hear that one of your, you know, a relative is very sick. So, you know, you hang up the phone and then you have to go to the gas station. So you're waiting in line and all of a sudden the purple show up. And they, don't, they may not have been told the whole thing, but they will be told a portion of it. So what happens is you're standing in line, that purple either be talking to someone or be on the phone. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I just got off the phone and my savior, it was an uncle. And my uncle's really sick. So you think, whatever. Then you have to go to the bank. So you're at the bank and you're waiting in line and then, you know, two people, perpetrators will show up. And then they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, I just talked to so-and-so and my uncle's really sick. Then you have to go to Target. And you're at tar- shopping in Target and then there's someone in the aisle and then they'll pretend like they're on the phone and they'll say, oh, yeah, my uncle's really sick. So what it is is that you have people in these legal positions Lots local, state, and or federal private security. They have and have obtained the, your private information. They take that information and they exploit it. And they provide it to the civilian sleeper cell community. Those people are then instructed to utilize various keywords when they're around the target to try to destabilize the target. That's man in the middle. I'll tell you, and then you want to know how I knew about Man in the Middle? Was because when they went live in the workplace, and I've said this story before a thousand times, I had a red shoe box of 200 plus pairs of shoes because I was a shoe person. And in that red shoe box, I kept my payroll, my banking information, and all this other stuff. And I hid it in the closet of a gazillion other uh, shoe boxes. So then at work, they give the peers information on what to utilize. So I'm at work, and one of my peers comes up to me and says, oh, yeah, they just opened the office of this one woman who was out on maternity leave, and they found a red shoebox, and you wouldn't believe all the financial information that was in there, payroll stuff, bonuses, blah, blah, blah. So right there, it's a red flag to me because I hide a red shoebox. That is not a coincidence about what someone's doing. It is someone who obtained insider information from the privacy of my living space, provided that information to the workplace at Sony in order to destabilize me in the workplace. That is not delusional behavior. Those are people who are being told to utilize these type of tactics. That is a form of terror because I was terrorized out of my job at Sony Pictures Entertainment. 
<clears throat> Those are the type of man-in-the-middle attacks. And if you're an unsuspecting target, it will scare the living shit out of you. You just had a private conversation? Or you go to the bank and you withdraw $500. And everywhere you go, there's a civilian that you've never seen before in your entire freaking life. And they're making comments about having to pay $500 or withdraw $500 or they're going to spend $500. And everywhere you go, there are some civilian perpetrator who has given that insider fucking information that nobody has the right to exploit. Those are acts of terrorism. And just like this guy is saying, someone from the inside in one of these type of positions of power is providing that private information to the civilian population. So sleep deprivation, torture is undercover officers or informants making loud noises all night so that suspects cannot sleep. Often the loud noises come from a nearby home rented by the police to do surveillance, like loud music all night long. Other loud noises described by suspects include loud TVs, prolonged chainsawing, power drilling, jackhammering, and the like. So they blast infrasonic resonance at the build, uh, infrasound at the building, which causes, creates a vibroacoustic effect. It's proven. Some suspects report intensive sexual harassment and assault. So I don't want to get, I'm not going to go into there because that's kind of weird what that article is talking about. For some, being harassed, assaulted, etc., by some of the prostitutes. He goes into prostitutes. So here's something interesting, and this is very true. And what they do is they try to reverse engineer who you are because they want to shape the narrative of who you are. That's why I do my shows because not a motherfucker out there is going to shape my narrative about who the fuck I am. I know who I am. So and this and they do this a lot and every target will tell you, especially in the beginning when they when you're you're blitz they blitz you and that's the Snowden term, uh, from the Snowden leaks they call blitzing a person every capability from technological to human intelligence to whatever you blitz a person I mean you bombard them. So suspects <clears throat> so I'm sorry, um, but if you're a heterosexual man they send frisky gay male prostitutes. If you're a heterosexual woman, they send lesbian prostitutes. If you're a gay man, they send heterosexual female prostitutes. If you're a lesbian, they send heterosexual male prostitutes to sexually harass you, assault you, attempt to rape you, etc. Just say surveillance. So what it is is they want to reverse engineer who you are, and then they want to rebuild you into the narrative that they want to sell to the general population or the target audience in order to recruit them in a hearts and mind campaign. Suspects who know why they are being targeted and are being targeted by local or state police rarely report the swarms of prostitutes. Prostitute swarms harassing, assaulting. So he got into this one, which was really bizarre. I don't know why. Uh, How long or one suspect reported being under surveillance for over 50 years. So I got problems with people like that. I mean, I'm not sure what's going on. But then the story is really interesting. So what happened was uh, how long one suspect reported being under surveillance for over 50 years. Long story short, his mother was some sort of fed, tasked with seducing a foreign leader, 
known for promiscuity and getting pregnant. She succeeded and came back to Manhattan nine months later. She delivered at New York Presbyterian Hospital. The agency arranged an adoption, and the natural mother got her $1 million in cash. Moments later, outside the hospital, she was robbed and murdered. Anyway, the child was adopted by undercover officers raised in a wealthy suburb on a block where many other undercover officers lived. He's been under 24-7 surveillance throughout his childhood, teens, young adult, and middle-aged years to present. Other targeted individuals, suspects, or he calls us suspects, and that's why we're under surveillance. Routinely report having been under surveillance for decades. People put on the no... Okay, so this is how he explains it. People put on the no-fly list, never get off the no-fly list, just as many suspects never get off the surveillance list. Back in the day, Americans used to be innocent until proven otherwise. Gloria Naylor, an award-winning author, reports in her book, 1996, how a spat with a well-connected neighbor led to her being declared a suspect and being put under intensive surveillance, complete with harassment, stalking by surveillance teams, psychological abuse and torture, sabotage to personal belongings, loud noises, sleep deprivation torture, being threatened, menaced, and terrorized 24-7, 365 and worse. (laughs) The police and feds refuse to state how long surveillance goes on for. The police and feds also refuse to provide metadata like statistics. For example, a range from shortest to longest surveillance times, average and median surveillance time periods. There's a tab to taxpayers too. But the police and feds refuse to provide data on how much surveillance costs per day per suspect. The police and feds absolutely refuse to provide data on how many suspects are guilty and how many are innocent. Widely published data reported that over 90% of the suspects incarcerated at Guantanamo were innocent of any crimes. They were in prison without trial, tortured for years, then released because they're innocent. The feds still refuse to apologize to the innocent people they falsely imprisoned and tortured for years at the Guantanamo torture camp as surely as the feds still continue their lingering military occupation on occupied Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. We don't know how many suspects put under surveillance are innocent, but we do know for sure from Guantanamo data that over 90% of the suspects there turned out to be innocent. Over 90% of suspects put under surveillance may also be innocent. It was also widely reported that the feds murdered some of the innocent suspects at Guantanamo, then tried unsuccessfully to make their murders look like suicides. It's still unknown, however, how many innocent suspects under surveillance the police and feds have murdered. Some TI websites report names and other facts about targets slash suspects who died under suspicious circumstances. The practice of placing suspects under surveillance has increased throughout the history of the United States. The biggest increase has been 2001 to present. There are too many unanswered questions about surveillance of suspects. Inquiries can be done by county legislatures, city councils, state assemblies, Congress, and investigative journalists to reveal 
how many suspects are picked, how long are suspects put under surveillance, how exactly is surveillance done, and how many suspects are found to be innocent. For example, 90%, 95%. Suspects or targeted individuals have reported that surveillance teams have broken laws, committed misdemeanors, felonies, civil rights violations, human rights violations, and crimes against humanity. Reports of serious crimes should be investigated. The people who do surveillance should be well policed. Anyone doing surveillance who has committed crimes needs to be held accountable. Investigated, arrested, tried, convicted, and imprisoned for their crimes. A step forward in fighting such abuses and crimes is increasingly increasing accountability, oversight, audits, and placing effective checks and balances on police and the feds. One small step forward would be hearings at local, state, and federal levels on the scope and extent of the problem. How many suspects are put under surveillance for decades? Why? Effective, enforceable laws need to be passed and inaugurated to limit the amount of time a suspect can be put under surveillance. For example, one or two years? How many crimes have been committed by police and feds doing surveillance, and what kinds of crimes have they been committing against suspects? The police and feds need to be policed more effectively. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, there should be independent audits, strong oversight, effective accountability, and enforceable checks and balances, or... Well, that's the Monterey Fire Department, so I, I just added you guys. I guess they don't like what they're hearing because they know we're telling the fucking truth. <clears throat> so the police and feds need to be policed more effectively. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, they, there should be independent audits, strong oversight, effective accountability, and enforceable checks and balances on both police and the feds. In more than 90% of suspects, if more than 90% of suspects are innocent of any crimes and large numbers of people have been labeled suspects and put under surveillance for decades, then discussion in, in the press, uh, um, then discussion in the press, county legislators, city councils, state assemblies, Congress, and the media at large needs to also know how these suspects can be apologized to and how can they be compensated for what was done to them. Targeted individuals who are suspects under surveillance will gain more credibility when they acknowledge the fact they are suspects under surveillance and move forward to discussions and actions. For example, lobbying for reform, lawsuits, etc., to ameliorate the status quo of how suspects are picked, how surveillance is done, and how long does surveillance linger on for. There is another group of targeted individuals who report they have been experimented on without their consent. This is a closely related topic for another article. It's a truism that everyone is a potential criminal just as everyone is a potential terrorist, yourself included. You are no longer innocent until proven guilty in the United States of America. You are guilty until proven innocent and that could take decades or a lifetime or longer. If you see, excuse me, if you see nothing, hear nothing, 
say nothing and do nothing while the numbers of suspects rises from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions, then who is going to speak up or do anything for you when you become a suspect and get put under 24-7 surveillance for years or decades or the rest of your life? So this... um, Nigel had uh, had told me about the New York Times article, and so I was looking around, and I found this article that was written a couple days after the New York Times article. And um, this gentleman, by the name of William Edstrom, decided to take it, instead of allowing the narrative that the New York Times uh, journalists tried to shape, he went, he turned around and took all that information, and then he did his research, and on our behalf, he said, wait a second, there's something going on over here. So now I want to talk about the psychiatric community because these guys are, they're gunning for the TI community. And like I, uh, like I try to explain, in the New York Times article, I've never seen such hostility towards an organi- uh, to a group of people who identify as TIs delusional, crazy, dangerous, blah, 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 okay? You know, you got people who like like the aliens and reptilians and all this other stuff, but they don't call them mentally ill. Oh, they're just conspiracy theorists. Leave them alone. Why is it that the New York Times would publish an article about a group of individuals who have come together as victims of state, corporate, and academia-sponsored sanction and covered up domestic terrorist activities? Cointel Pro on steroids, McCarthy era blacklisting. Why would they go after that community with such venom? They don't say anything to these religious fanatics. They don't say anything to the people who believe in the demons and the, you know, the demonic worshipers and all that other stuff. They don't say anything about the people who believe in the Masons and the Illuminati, and they don't call them names. But we get a whole New York Times article just lambasting us. And the only reason why you would do that is because they have something to hide, period. You don't go after people with that much venom and discrediting unless the people who are coming forward have provided enough material evidence to question what the fuck has been going on? These these psychiatrists will sit there and talk shit about you, and then they can't they still can't answer the question because I know I posted it to them. Then why the fuck did I publish a website outlining everything about surveillance that ended up coming out in the Snowden leaks three years later? I even named the names of operations. Crazy people can't do shit like that. Delusional people cannot do shit like that, but a victim of the crime can. Before the Snowden leaks, before even Greenwald was able to publish stuff in 2014, I was long since published. I I even found the RSS of the archive to Rebel Report, which is um, Jeremy Scahill, and I outlined the operations that were transpiring Information Operation, 2010, I published what I believe was going on. Sent that letter to 
the Inspector General for the Department of Defense, waste, fraud, and abuse, saying, what the fuck is going on on American soil with military operations? So how are these psychiatrists going to tell me, oh, that you're delusional and you just jumped on the bandwagon after the Snowden leaks? Fuck you, asshole. I was published before that. Like I was published on asking the law and neuroscience about illegal, non-consensual human experimentation, and I outlined all of the brain projects even before the commander-in-chief in 2014 told the American people that they were moving from the genome project to the brain project. Once again, published. You could even go now to the FBI website on countering extreme, violent extremism. And then you can go to my website, and I should sue the FBI for plagiarism because I've already been published. So how are these shrinks going to explain all of that? Since I didn't jump on any bandwagon, I outlined in detail what I noticed about what was transpiring against my human living life. So... Now we're going to go on to the psychiatric community because you know what? If these motherfuckers want to put us down, I'm going to show you how they, how they could be discredited too. And we're going to start with um, <clears throat> RT. Well, it was all over the news. Yale will train U.S. Special Forces in interrogation techniques using immigrants as guinea pigs. Published 19 February 2013. Okay, Yale University is planning to train U.S. forces to detect lies by practicing on immigrants. The program strives to provide soldiers with such interview tactics by practicing on someone they can't necessarily identify with. Starting as early as April, the university will launch a new training center on its campus for interrogators to practice what they call people skills, quote-unquote, but these skills would be acquired by relying on immigrants based in New Haven. The program's leaders believe this would prepare the Green Berets for overseas interrogation. The $1.8 million program is headed by Dr. Charles Morgan III, an associate professor of psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine, whose interview methods have sparked an interest with the Department of Defense at the, the Yale uh, the Yale Herald reports, I want students to be interviewing someone they can't necessarily identify with, Morgan told the Herald. As a result, the associate professor said he will choose his subjects, quote-unquote, from Moroccan, Colombian, Nepalese, Ecuadorian, and other immigrant communities. The program will compensate immigrants a minimum of $50 per hour with up to $100 in bonuses if they succeed in deceiving the interrogator. But using immigrants as training tools has sparked outrage among a number of Yale students. Is there an assumption in Morgan's desire to use more authentic, quote-unquote, brown interviewees as, uh, as test subjects that brown people lie differently from whites, and even more insidiously, that all brown people might belong to the same category of liar? Guest column, columnist Natalie that reveal, B-A-T-R-A-B-I-L-L-E, and Alex Liu write for the Yale Daily News. The Morgan's test 
that Morgan's test subjects are compensated does not resolve the ethical question his project raises. In fact, their participation highlights the structural inequality that this research capitalizes on and that the center would ultimately exploit, the columnist added. The students also expressed frustration with Yale's decision to launch such a program without the university community's input, as well as Yale's potential conflict of interest in working with the United States military. The school cannot align its goals with the goals of the military since that would conflict with the university's pledge to build a global community of scholars discussing knowledge and perspectives from around the world. Its purpose is not to promote the agenda of the United States political elite, the columnist writes, but by training U.S. special forces who might use the, their newfound skills to interrogate foreign terrorists as well as train them using immigrant test subjects, Yale is coming under intense scrutiny. Opponents of the program have launched a petition, so it ended up not happening. But while this was going on, and I read it because I was just appalled, um, I sent an email. And so I'm going to read you some stuff that happened. So what happened was <clears throat> I decided to respond because they had this place to respond. And let me see. So I sent the link, and I put the RT article, and then what I did was I posted Senate Joint Resolution, or SJR-19, okay? This is in the state of California. Torture Resolution approved the California legislature on August 14, 2008. Sent Joint Resolution 19, SJR-19, requires all boards to notify licensees that those who participate in torture or cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment of detainees in United States custody are in violation of international, federal, and state laws. California licensed health professionals are prohibited from knowingly planning, designing, participating in, or assisting in, in the use of condemned techniques at any time and may not enlist others to employ these techniques to circumvent the prohibition. The common Article 3 of the Geneva Convention, the United Nations Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman, or Degrading Treatment or Punishments, CAT, and the amended War Crimes Act prohibit the torture of and the cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment or punishment of detainees in United States custody. And technically, targets are detainees. We're being detained. Our lives are being held hostage while they brutally use us against our will and without our consent. Um, California license. Okay, so that says in any California, if any California licensed professional has reason to believe that interrogations or are coercive or enhanced or involve torture or cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment, that they report their observations to the appropriate authorities. If the authorities are aware of those abuse, abusive interrogation tactics, but have not intended intervened then those health professionals are ethically obligated to report those practices to independent authorities that have the power to investigate, adjudicate those allegations. No law, regulation, order, or exceptional circumstance, state of war, or threat of war, nor internal political instability or any other public emergency can be invoked as a justification for torture or cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. California licensed health professionals should continue to provide appropriate health care if called upon to deal with a victim of the conduct and torture described in SJR 19. So all I did was attach that, okay, with the article. So the Charles Morgan, the one that was getting the money to do the experiments, I had no idea he was going to respond. 
So this is what he says. So he sends it to the whole world, right? And he says, I am not sure why I'm receiving this. I have been a vocal opponent of interrogation practices that were revealed to be occurring during the Bush administration. I can only assume that you have believed the fiction that appeared in the news and are sending this to me out of some malevolent intent on your part. I know that I do not know you and therefore know that this email was not sent in a spirit of generosity or respect. Frankly, I find it ironic that people who feel moralistic zeal so often resort to hostile, intimidating, or threatening behavior. It seems they have more in common with the evils, quote-unquote, they oppose than anything. So full of piety, they never stop to even ask for truth. I would encourage, I would encourage you to get out more and do something positive, like gardening, helping a neighbor in need, giving freely and without expectation of reward or gain to someone in need. I also would encourage you to think about better ways of reaching out to people you believe differ in their thinking from you. So this is this Charles Morgan. I was reading you. He was the one that was going to get funding from the Department of Defense. So all I did was, all I literally did was link things. You know, I, I just gave him, it said food for thought. That's all I put on there, food for thought. And then I gave the Senate, I copied the Senate joint resolution about experimenting with people. So then he writes me back and he's telling me to get a freaking life, right? And that, you know, he, he thinks that, you know, what, what are you doing? You're intimidating. I'm not intimidating you. I'm just telling you, think about these things. Boots the thought. So then I got pissed off. So I responded by saying, I find your attempt to reverse, at reverse psychology rather pathetic. It is a shame that the Department of Defense dollar signs of $1.8 million has clouded your judgment and inflated your ego. I wonder what part of $1.8 million and recruiting immigrants in the surrounding community is, as you say, helping a neighbor in need, giving freely and without expectation of reward or gain. In reference to intimidation, why would providing you with the text of California Senate Joint Resolution SJR 19 to forbid medical professionals in California from participation in interrogation techniques be of any threat? If anything, it should serve as a reminder of their Hippocratic oath to first do no harm. Maybe you should seek help for your paranoid delusions of grandeur, or as you say, take up gardening. That might help bring your reverse psychology, double-speaking ego back down to earth. And then I hit the send button. He wanted to, he sent it to everybody in the world at Yale. And then he thought he was putting me down, and that's how I responded to him. So you're getting $1.8 million from the Department of Defense. You're getting immigrants because brown people lie different from white people or yellow people. And you're telling me that I'm, you know, so that's what I did. That was my bottom line to this, this, this um, associate professor at the uh, Yale School of Medicine in the psychology department. So he went off on me and I said, okay, motherfucker, really? And so I wrote right back to him. And then I get an email and it says, your insight, your insight is breathtaking. So everything he tried to do in order to manipulate, because psychologists are expert at mind-fucking and manipulation, I took all of his words and I gave it back to him. And he was speechless, pretty much. How is he going to tell me what he thinks I should do? And he's the one who's getting one point, he was going to get $1.8 million to experiment on people. 
to teach soldiers how to interrogate people. But only brown people. So anyway, that's what he told me to do. So he says, like I said, he thought he, he was trying to say that he was being, you know, he was being intimidated. But what's the intimidation? I'm showing you, hey, you're a medical professional. Why would you use your skills to manipulate instead of help? California passed a resolution saying that you are forbidden. Anyone in any way, shape, or form, in any form of medical. So this this Yale professor, (laughs) he just went off on me. So I said, okay, really? So let me take your words and let me give them back to you. And that's what I did. So like I said, I, I, I find your attempt at reverse psychology rather pathetic. It is, sh- it is a shame that the Department of Defense dollars signs of $1.8 million have clouded your judgment and inflated your ego. I wonder what part of $1.8 million and recruiting immigrants in the surrounding community is, as you say, helping a neighbor in need, living freely and without expectation of reward or gain. In reference to intimidation, why we're providing you with the text of California Senate Joint Resolution SJR 19, to forbid medical professionals in California from participation in interrogation techniques be of any threat, question mark. If anything, it should serve as a reminder of their Hippocratic oath, first, do no harm. Maybe you should seek help for your paranoid delusions of grandeur, or, as you say, take up gardening. That might help bring your reverse psychology, double-speaking ego back down to earth. And I popped that puppy out right after I read it. So that was a psychologist, and I never expected him to respond to me, but he thought he was just going to put me in my place, and I said, really? I don't think so. So that's psychology. Now we're going to go on to the psychology, the uh, American Psychological Association, because you know that they recently passed, or last year they passed, a resolution flat out forbidding any utilization of their people that were part of the APA or the American Psychological Association from any type of participation in these type of tactics that are being utilized. So, I put in a bunch of... um, Links and so you can go back to my chat. You can go to Chat Grabber Talk Shoe, and my show is uh, nine nine five two one, and you can get all the links. So the first one is um, Outside Psychologist Shield U.S. Torture Program Report Finds Psychologist. So here I'll read. That was New York Times, and I think Nigel read this last night. But I'm gonna just I'll give you a quick overview. So Outside Psychologist Shield did U.S. Torture Program Report Finds. <clears throat> so this was back in. Uh, James Reeson, July 10, 2015. So Washington, the Central Intelligence Agency's health professionals repeatedly criticized the agency's post-September 11 interrogation program, but their protests were rebuffed by prominent outside psychologists who lent credibility to the program, according to a new report. The 542-page report, which examines the involvement of the nation's psychologists and their largest professional organization, the American Psychological Association, with the harsh interrogation programs of the Bush era, raises repeated questions about the collaboration between psychologists and officials at both the CIA and the Pentagon. 
The report completed this month concludes that some of the association's top officials, including its, its ethics director, sought to curry favor with Pentagon officials by seeking to keep the association's ethics policies in line with the Defense Department's interrogation policies, while several, several prominent outside psychologists took action that aided the CIA interrogation program and helped protect it from growing dissent inside the agency. The association's ethics office prioritized the protection of psychologists, even those who might have engaged in unethical behavior above the protection of the public, the report said. Two former presidents of the Psychological Association were on a Central Intelligence Agency advisory committee, the report found. One of them gave the agency an opinion that sleep deprivation did not constitute torture and later held a small ownership stake in a consulting company founded by two men who oversaw the agency's interrogation program, it said. The association's ethics director, Stephen Benke, coordinated the group's public policy statement on interrogation with top military psychologists, the report said, and then received a Pentagon contract to help train interrogators while he was working at the association. Without the knowledge of the association's board, Mr. Benke did not respond to a request for comment. The report, which was obtained by the New York Times and has not previously been made public, is the result of a seven-month investigation by a team led by David Hoffman, a Chicago lawyer with the firm Sidley Austin, at the request of the Psychology Association's board. <clears throat> so I actually put a link of the actual... Um, uh, the Sidley report. So what happened was, you know, a lot of times you'll, these people that want to exonerate themselves will hire these so-called outside consultants that generally write reports in your favor because you're paying them to do it. But in this case, it was so blatant, the cover-up and the changing of moral and ethical standards to suit the narrative so the Pentagon could get their asses off the hook when they knew it was torture. Okay. These are the top level of the American Psychological Association. Remember, first, do no harm. But everything that they were involved with was how to bend the rules so that you could do as much harm as possible without killing them, but breaking them down psychologically, emotionally, physically. So when you hear the New York Times article about all these so-called, quote-unquote, Harvard psychiatrists, oh, that's a crock of shit. What kind of credibility do you have? How much money are you getting from these outside entities to conduct your research? How much money are you getting to shape a narrative, negative false light narrative about victims of crimes? Or as the Pravda article stated, suspects under surveillance. What did the Snowden leak say? Blitzing can take paranoia to a whole new level. This is from the GCHQ, which is an arm, the British side, of the, the, the United States National Security. They call it information operations. Well, where did they get info up? They got it from the United States Department of Defense, a 2003 classified document called Information Operation Roadmap. It was declassified in 2006, and they went fucking live. So the GCHQ has their own slides from the Snowden leak showing that they will blitz a human being when they're going after them 
when they're under surveillance, when they have become a suspect, and they will blitz them. That means they take every single thing they have at their disposal and they fire it, not literally, at the target so that they can destabilize them. That's asymmetrical warfare. So in this case, you're sitting there and you're being blitzed. And then the next line over on the slide says, we can take paranoia to a whole new level by utilizing their weaponized technologies, weaponized directed energies, weaponized neural technologies, and blast the person along with all that insider information. Remember the man in the middle. He gets the information on the conversation you had in the privacy of your home, and then that motherfucking asshole with a warrantless fucking bullshit takes that information and gives parts of it or all of it to the handler who then gives it to the general population so that they, they don't know. Some of them don't know. And my best example is Michael Hastings, the Polk Award-winning journalist for the Rolling Stones about the runaway general. He didn't know what hit him. And this man was embedded with Stanley McChrystal, who was Joint Special Operations Commander before he commanded Afghanistan with all those killers and assassins. And he was embedded with them. He was embedded in the war zone. But when they hit him with the blitzing, he didn't know what the fuck hit him. And then he was dead. Because he was assassinated. And I will never change that opinion about what happened to Michael Hastings. That man was assassinated. And even the people who knew him said he was kind of acting paranoid. He said he had to go off the grid. He sent an email to all of the people. He was working for BuzzFeed. You know, He had to go off the grid because he believed he was under heavy-duty surveillance. No, he wasn't under. And then when they, when they asked for a Freedom of Information Act because he had all these connections to powerful, more powerful people, the FBI said, oh, no, he wasn't under surveillance. And technically, they could say that because they, what they do is they hand the information over to their civilian handlers or private corporations, and then those people use the civilian population to do all their dirty fucking work for them. That way they can technically keep their hands clean. Michael Hastings was assassinated, period. So anyway, it goes on and it talks about it, but I'm going to play something from Democracy Now! And one of them was called, so I'm going to give you some of the psychologists collaborated with the CIA and Pentagon on post-9-11 torture program may face ethics charges. Both betrayed torture, medical complicity, and the war on terror. And that's actually a really good book. Um, it, uh, the Gitmo Experiment, how method developed by the United States military for withstanding torture are being used against detainees at Guantanamo Bay. Experiments in torture, medical group accuses CIA of carrying out illegal human experimentation. Sidley Austin LLP, and that's the one where the, the uh, APA, the American Psychological Association, hired this law firm to conduct an investigation that they were hoping would show that there was no malfeasance, no malpractice, no violation of the laws. And basically, the, LL, the, the Sydney LL, uh, Austin LLP, turned some, they claimed that they had to turn some of the information over to the Department of Justice because they were collaborating. It was basically in violation of the RICO Act, organized criminal activity. That's how bad it was. At the highest levels of the American Psychological Association. 
working hand-in-glove with the Central Intelligence Agency, the Department of Defense, and the White House to cover shit up. So an email shows American Psychological Association secretly worked with Bruce Edmund to enable torture, weaponizing health workers, how medical professionals were a top instrument in the United States torture program. Psychological Association related to this apparent collusion with the CIA and the White House. And these are all documented pieces of information. Uh, so let me, I'm going to play this one, the weaponization of health workers. So it was uh, back in December 23, 2014. It's called the Weaponiza- Weaponizing Health Workers, How Medical Professionals Were a Top Instrument in the United States Torture Program. So I'm talking about credibility. If these motherfuckers in the medical community, especially the psychiatric community, want to talk shit about a target, well, let me talk some shit about the realities of who you guys are and how much you sold out humanity. DemocracyNow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Hey, welcome to our listeners and viewers around the country and around the world. Calls are increasing for the prosecution of Bush administration officials tied to the CIA torture program. On Monday, the American Civil Liberties Union and Human Rights Watch called on Attorney General Eric Holder to appoint a special prosecutor to probe the crimes detailed in the Senate Intelligence Committee's report. Also on Monday, the New York Times editorial board called for a full and independent criminal investigation. Meanwhile, the group Positions for Human Rights is calling for a federal commission to investigate, document, and hold accountable all health professionals who took part in CIA torture. Last week, the Physicians for Human Rights released a report titled Doing Harm, Health Professionals' Central Role in the CIA Torture Program. The report finds medical personnel connected to the torture program may have committed war crimes by conducting human experimentation on prisoners in violation of the Nuremberg Code that grew out of the trial of Nazi officials and doctors after World War II. Joining us now is Nathaniel Raymond. He's a research ethics advisor for Physicians for Human Rights. He co-wrote the new report. He's also a researcher at the Harvard School of Public Health. It's nice to have you back, Nathaniel. Um, So start off by talking about the human experimentation. What came out of the CIA documents? Well, I would say that there were two incidents in the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Executive Summary that have been uh, largely overlooked by the press. One is the Office of Medical Services raising concerns to the Inspector General in 2005 at CIA that they were being asked to potentially commit human experimentation through the required monitoring rule to study the efficacy and the quote-unquote safety of the tactics. Additionally, the report shows uh, two senior former CIA uh, agents were asked to do an independent review of the CIA interrogation program and declined to assess the efficacy because they said it would, quote, violate federal policy on human subjects research. What we see clearly in this report is that the Office of Medical Services role evolved from the time of the UBID memo in 2002 and 2003 into something very different by the the Bradbury memo in 2005, they were actively engaged in collecting data and assessing the potential impact, the harm of these tactics. That role can constitute research and can constitute a violation 
of international war crimes prohibitions on human subjects experimentation because what they were doing was unrelated to the medical care of detainees and it had no clinical precedent and it involved analysis of identifiable data from detainees who were being tortured. So what does this evolution indicate to you? It indicates this, that the U.S. government swallowed the spider to catch the fly of torture and they swallowed the spider of weaponizing health professionals to engage in a role that has been widely documented and prohibited by the Nuremberg Code and also by U.S. domestic uh, war crimes law as constituting potentially a crime against humanity. Now, I want to be clear here. There's no uh, hierarchy of harm between torture and alleged human subject experimentation. Both are illegal and both can constitute war crimes. But the fact here is that we now see clear evidence of the essential integral role that health professionals played as the legal heat shield for the Bush administration, their get-out-of-jail-free card. So let's talk about the different professions. Yes. We've talked to you a lot over the years about psychologists, and we've done several big uh, segments in the last few weeks. Um, we know about the psychologists Bruce Jetson and James Mitchell um, and their role in the torture. But talk beyond these two men as the attempt is made for them to be isolated, the role of the American Psychological Association, the largest uh, association of psychologists in the world, but then beyond that narrative that Mitchell and Jessen were sort of the lone gunmen of torture, that they, you know, were doing this out of their garage. They were operating inside a superstructure of medicalized torture. And what that means is it wasn't just them alone. It was the Office of Medical Services at CIA, part of the Office of Technical Services that allegedly employed Mitchell and Jessen. And that includes just looking at the, the executive summary of the Senate report, it includes physicians' assistants, it includes doctors, and it may include other professionals within OMS. And what they were doing was everything from, quote, patient care to actual monitoring, calibration, and design of the tactics with Mitchell and Jessen. But explain, it has traditionally been said that the American Psychological Association, despite a lot of um, resistance from a lot of psychologists within who were trying to change uh, the rules, um, was resisting for years any kind of moratorium or ban on psychologists' involvement in these so-called enhanced interrogations, but that the AMA and the little APA, the American Psychiatric Association, did cast bans, moratoriums. In 2006, the AMA and the little APA, American Psychiatric, uh, passed clear bans on participation. And those bans on participation are now being echoed by the New York Times. The American Psychological Association is of the big three, the only association that still permits involvement in interrogations. Um, where we have to go in the next step is to a ban encoded in U.S. law. It's time for it no longer to be about the associations, but to be about U.S. code. Health professionals have no role in interrogations. Um, there's the line from the famous Diane Beaver email at Guantanamo, if a detainee dies, you're doing it wrong. If you have a health professional in an interrogation, I would invert that and say, then you're doing it wrong. Um, right now, it's a time for leadership for the associations to step up and go, in the case of the AMA and American Psychiatric, one step further and say this needs to be encoded in U.S. federal statute. 
you spoke to a uh, contractor who was involved in these interrogations. Who was he and what did he tell you? In 2006, I received a phone call from uh, Scott Gerware, who identified himself as a CIA contractor who said that he was at Guantanamo in the summer of 2006, and he was installing cameras as part of detecting deception during interrogations at the CIA facility at Guantanamo Bay. Um, Mr. Gareware uh, then proceeded to go into detail about the Office of Medical Services evaluation he said was in the CIA Inspector General report. Um, <clears throat> I didn't speak to Mr. Gareware uh, other than one or two times after that, and I found out in 2009 he had passed away in a traffic accident. Um, once I learned that he had died, um, I went and contacted uh, at Physicians Human Rights um, through that organization, the Department of Justice, and I met with uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney John Durham, and I told him that he needed to look at Mr. Gareware and any potential evidence he had left behind. Um, subsequently, the Department of Justice obtained emails after that meeting from Mr. Gareware's uh, files, and in those emails, which are referenced in James Risen's recent book, Penny Price, we see um, a stunning uh, TikTok of the American Psychological Association's direct communication with the CIA and White House officials related to its own ethics policy. Uh, right now, David Hoffman of the law firm Sibley and Howe in Chicago is conducting an independent probe of the APA, and I'm uh, cooperating with him, and I also analyzed Mr. Gareware's emails at the request of the Public Corruption Unit of the FBI in 2012, and I analyzed in the context of uh, RICO violation, potentially by the American Psychological Association, related to this apparent collusion with the CIA and the White House. Are there grounds for charges, you think? <laughs> in the memo I wrote for the FBI, I presented information that I felt had probative value, meaning that there was grounds for an official investigation by the Bureau. Um, the issue that we encountered then is that the information I had, which was not only Scott Gerwer's emails but other additional evidence in my possession, um, was outside the statute of limitations um, of U.S. Uh, RICO code, 18 U.S.C. Uh, the hope here is that with David Hoffman's investigation, new evidence um, can be unearthed, and uh, the hope is that if it falls within the statute of limitations, he'll refer it to the Department of Justice. And you think it suggests that? I think it definitely suggests that. That one? I, uh, I think it suggests, let me make a clear declarative statement. I think the information I reviewed for the FBI in 2012 suggests that from racketeering related to its relationship with CIA and White House officials in the construction of the 2005 PENS, Pres President's Task Force on Psychological Ethics. Can you explain that PENS stands for? Uh, PENS is the President's Task Force on Psychological Ethics and National Security, which basically encoded in APA policy the uh, observation, the monitoring, the direct involvement role for psychologists in national security interrogations that we now know at that time involved torture. Um, what we see from Jim Ryerson's reporting based on the emails I also reviewed is clear concealed contacts 
between officials who are directly in the policy chain of command and the operational chain of command at CIA um, related to this program were helping in one case to literally write the PENS report. It wasn't just that they were passing post-it notes. They were literally writing the text of the document. We had Jean Maria Riga on Democracy Now! years ago, right? She went in the PENS panel to her own shop. She's an oral historian of military psychologists, and she's sitting there in this meeting, and she starts to take notes. Psychologists are known for taking notes, and she's told to put her notes away, and before she knows, she's handed the final report that she is supposed to sign. And if, if you're trying to cover something up, don't give Jean Maria Rigo a notebook. Uh, the fact of the matter is that um, there's one conclusion that you can draw, is that, that unlike the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, which have public processes on this issue, processes that I was involved with that were public meetings in Chicago in 2006, not only did the APA do it behind closed doors, they did it with direct contact and follow-up, it appears, based on Jim Risen's reporting, with the very officials who were in the operational and the policy chain command. And the question is, why? Why did it have to go that way? And I hope that uh, Mr. Hoffman and his investigation can help answer that question. On top of the policy part, helping draft guidelines that would enable torture, can you talk about how the health professional would actually physically abet the interrogation of a prisoner? It depends on the profession. In the case of physicians, what we see in the now well-known, heinous example of quote-unquote rectal feeding, the physicians themselves, in addition to the well-known psychologist Mitchell and Jackson, who were mentioned before by Amy, appear to have been involved in the designing of tactics that were intentionally inflicting harm. In the case of psychologists, there appears to be additional psychologists beyond Mitchell and Jackson, who would be called operational psychologists. There were support psychologists who were conducting evaluations and serving at OMS. And there's also the mention of a physician's assistant who appears to have been involved in relaying information back to headquarters at Langley about whether a detainee was ready after an injury to be tortured again. So we see this clear role across the health professions of taking their responsibility to do no harm into a mission to do harm to detainees with their health professionals. And Nathaniel Raymond, you say the human rights community has done a disservice to itself on this issue. How? I think that in many ways we have buried the lead in the sense that we've seen often health, the health professional issue as it relates to the interrogation scandal is seen as this boutique sort of side narrative. And I think, and kudos to you, Amy, you've kept this issue front and center for many years. Um, now it's time to really see it as the central story. If you didn't have the health professionals, you wouldn't have had the Office of Legal Counsel memos. It was the spark plug in that engine. It, because the OLC memos were based on a good faith interpretation of U.S. anti-torture law, saying that if we, the United States, did not cause a certain level of severe, long-lasting pain, physical and mental pain and suffering, then we had not violated torture. Well, how are you going to assess that in a good faith defense? You need to have health professionals involved to say that this limbo stick of harm was not crossed. Well, the fact is, that's inherently an experimental role. There's no clinical precedent. Doctors are not trained in assessing the prospective harm of a torture technique. So the fact of the matter 
is if you did not have the psychologists, the doctors in the room, OLC, as we see in the Bradbury Memorandum, wouldn't have had the data to say we hadn't crossed the threshold of harm. In other words, the health professionals were the get-out-of-jail-free card, the legal indemnification for the White House. Their report calls for a federal commission. Look at it and why is that important? Well, I think to date we've had two critical and courageous congressional investigations in terms of Senate Armed Services Committee and then later the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Executive Summary. But right now we've been working in compartments, and the issue of health professional involvement is an interdisciplinary cross committee problem. It goes from judiciary to health and human services on to intelligence and armed services. There needs to be a holistic approach. This is a five-alarm fire in American medical ethics up there with Tuskegee. This is not just about what was done before. It appears that there were changes to both the interpretation of the Code of Federal Regulations related to human subjects research, um, the Wolfowitz Memorandum, and changes to U.S. interpretation of the Geneva Conventions related to biomedical experimentation during the Bush administration. We need to go back, find out what was done, and, and literally fix our code. I want to turn to the psychologist, James Mitchell, who helped design the CIA interrogation program, recently interviewed on Fox News as Megyn Kelly, and with about his involvement in the interrogation of Abu Zubaydah, who was reportedly subjected to waterboarding at a secret CIA black site in Thailand. And there was medical personnel in the room. There was always medical personnel. There were medical personnel there. There was there were psychologists that were independent of the interrogation there. There were, there were uh, uh, language experts, although he spoke English pretty well. There were language experts. There were uh, subject matter experts, and there were the per there were the people who had the command and control. All the people in the room, Nathaniel Reyes. I I think that you know. Uh, James Mitchell said it better than I can say it. This was a multiple department chain of command authorized operation. And we have a responsibility underneath the precedence of Nuremberg, under the precedence of the Tokyo trials, to hold the chain of command accountable. To date, we have basically violated the bedrock principle of command accountability, which is the basis of international and domestic war crimes law. It's been about two contract psychologists. Who brought them in? Who was their commander? Who gave them the order? We still don't know that. And thank you, Senator Feinstein and Senator uh, Select Committee on Intelligence, but we need to understand the chain of command about who gave the order to weaponize health professionals to inflict harm and to study it. Do you think Senator Udall, uh, what Senator Mike Ravel is calling for, should have the whole report put into the record? It doesn't just have to be Udall, but how going senator from Colorado, it could be any senator. But are you calling for these? Do you think some of that information will be in those thousands of pages that are still secret? Based on people that I have talked to over the 13 years I've been working on detainee abuse, there is a lot that appears to have happened that we don't know. Um, you know, the president has said we uh, should look forward and not backwards. Well, we shouldn't look forward in blindness until we have a full accounting that only a federal commission can provide, including the release of the full Senate Select Committee on Intelligence report. We don't actually know fully what we're talking about. 
should President Bush, Vice President Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, George Tenet, do you think these men should be charged um, with crimes against humanity? I believe that the, the challenge of now, the challenge of the past decade, is to resuscitate our institutions for them to be able to do the accountability functions required by the law. Until we restore the rule of law by holding those who gave the order accountable, not the people, the burger flippers at the bottom, not <laughs> middle management, but the chain of command from the top, we have not done what the law requires. We want to thank you for being with us, Nathaniel Raymond, Research Ethics Advisor for Physicians for Human Rights, Researcher at the Harvard School of Public Health. This is Democracy Now! We will link to his report, Doing Harm, Health Professional's Central Role in the CIA Torture Program at democracynow.org. And when we come back... So that was part of the... Uh, he went over what what he had found, and ultimately the APA hired the Sidley uh, law firm, Sidley LLP law firm. And that law firm, instead of uh, ruling in favor of the APA, they found that they had that there were several things that they quote unquote turned over to the Department of Justice. But you know they haven't done anything because they're all crooked. Um, so part of that, what had happened too, was that um, this was CIA torture report. Three senior officials lose their jobs at the American Psychological Association after U.S. torture scandal by Spencer Ackerman. This was uh, July 14, 2015. So it says, the torture scandal consuming the U.S. Premier Professional Association of Psychologists has cost three senior officials their jobs, part of a reckoning that reformers hope will lead to criminal prosecution. As the American Psychological Association copes with the damage reaped by an independent investigation that found it complicit in United States torture, the group announced on Tuesday that its chief executive officer, its deputy CEO, or chief uh, well, yeah, <clears throat> its deputy CEO and its communication chief are no longer with the American Psychological Association. So you're talking at the highest levels, right, of the APA. They were resigned or they were told to leave or, or retire out or get out. They were all found to be complicit in changing the ethical guidelines that would be basically whatever the DOD said, whatever the, the Pentagon, the White House, you know, oh, this is not torture. So how do you change your ethics to say it's not torture, even though it was torture? Um, all three were in, implicated in the 542-page report issued this month by former federal prosecutor David Hoffman, who concluded that the APA leaders colluded. So that's a conspiracy. Okay, that's a, that's a true Title 18 felony under conspiracy. They colluded is conspiring with the United States Department of Defense and aided the Central Intelligence Agency in loosening professional ethics and other guidelines to permit psychologists participation in torture. Despite rumors of the three ousting circulating for over a week, the APA framed the departure of longtime executive official Norman Anderson and Michael Honick H-O-N-A-K-E-R, as retirements, quote-unquote, Rhea Farberman, 
who served as APA's communication director for 22 years, resigned, the APA said in a statement. While CEO Anderson's retirement was scheduled before the Hoffman report was released, the APA stated Dr. Anderson felt that moving up his retirement date to the end of 2015 would allow the association to take another step in the important process of organizational healing and to facilitate APA's continuing focus on its broader mission. So, at the highest level, so that people think that targets are talking out our asses. No, this is documented information. These are people at the highest levels that cover stuff up. So now let's go back to the New York Times article about targets and gang stalking. They don't call, you know, people who believe in aliens or believe in, you know, they don't believe in the JFK narrative or 9-11, they don't call them all mentally ill, paranoid, delusional, schizophrenic, whatever. They just say they're conspiracy theorists. Why would the New York Times utilize a journalist to absolutely, unequivocally, just lambast the TI community? Probably because the victims are telling the truth. The suspects are telling the truth, that they're innocent. So let me give you something, and I do want to mention something here about the APA ruling, because they did. And um, in August 10th of 2015, No More Torture, world's largest group of psychologists banned role in national security interrogations. So this was on Democracy Now!, by a nearly unanimous vote, the American Psychological Association's Council of Representatives voted Friday to adopt a new policy barring psychologists from participating in national security interrogations. The resolution also puts the APA on the side of international law by barring psychologists from working at Guantanamo, CIA black sites, and other settings deemed illegal under the Geneva Convention or the United Nations Convention Against Torture unless they are working directly for the persons being detained or for an independent third party working to protect human rights. The vote came at the APA's first convention since the release of a report confirming the APA leadership actively colluded. So let's, get a, let's, let, let's explain this. Collusion is conspiracy. You collide it. You, remember, a conspiracy is two or more people who agree to participate That is a Title 18 felony, conspiracy. Not conspiracy theory, but a felony under the laws of conspiracy. So they call it collusion, but really they conspired with each other. That's the same thing. Colluding is conspiring. With the Pentagon and the CIA torture programs, the sole dissenter was retired Colonel Larry James, former top Army intelligence psychologist at Guantanamo and Abu Ghraib. Uh, so anyway, it goes on. But there is something that I do want to talk about because this is something where they're trying to hide behind now. Okay, so they forbid, long, uh, they forbid you know people on the federal levels to be doing this. But Stephen Reisner said, uh, "National security interrogation is well defined. It, well, we defined it." It's any interrogation or any condition of confinement in support of an interrogation that takes place outside of the protections of domestic criminal law. So it could be the Department of Defense. It could be for the FBI. It could be for the CIA. It could be in black sites. 
It could be foreign governments that do interrogations on our behalf. It could be private contractors. We have prohibited psychologists from being involved in any of those. The only exception, okay, the only exception has to do with domestic law enforcement where constitutional law, Miranda rights apply, that we carve that out for the time being. Listen to this, you guys, as TIs. We are fully aware that abuses go on domestically as well, and we are very concerned about that. But this particular issue has to do with the fact that psychologists are responsible for our national torture program. And now the APA is no longer supporting psychologists in those roles, but actively and clearly opposing any possibility of psychologists playing those roles. So they had to pull that out domestically. Because as targets, we are domestic citizens. This is our country. This is our nation. But these guys who have been watching this stuff are aware that domestically there are operations going on. And that's going to be where we fall in as the victims. So those psychologists, like the one from Harvard, where they had to put a caveat or a note that she wasn't a psychiatrist, but she was a psychologist, and she was talking shit about the target. You got to wonder, which side of the fence is she on? And how much money is Harvard making in cognitive neuroscience and neurotechnologies, surveillance, biometrics, biotechnologies, psychological, behavioral science, behavior modification? That's the kind of background check he should have done before he talked to the person. Because we were raked over the coals, targets were thrown under the bus, trying to utilize the tactic of power of suggestion, power of association. So therefore, anyone who says TI is X, Y, and Z. But I just showed you how credible are the people who are saying that about the victims slash suspects that have been absolutely brutalized. You aren't talking to a delusional paranoid. You're talking to someone who's the victim of the crimes, who did her homework, and can show you the other side. And every single perpetrator out there knows that that article they thought was their get-out-of-jail-free, you're wrong. And about the statute of limitation on RICO, here's the bottom line that I was told by a defense attorney. Number one, he told me I needed to get legislation. And I asked him, how does an ordinary citizen get legislation? He says, you got to try. And number two, because I told him, well, how is this going to work for defense attorneys if they have all this surveillance information? Way ahead of the game, you guys. Way ahead of the game. But the other thing he told me is that there is no statute of limitation because as long as what's happening is ongoing from where it started and that similar or exact things continue to happen no matter where you go, where you move, where you work, then there's no statute of limitation and everyone involved because they conspired continues to be on the hook. The statute of limitation starts when all the targeting stops and the targeting has not stopped. Therefore, the statute of limitation has not expired. And that's what the defense attorney told me from a major law firm who seemed to, who may have probably known that targeting was going on, told me to get legislation That's why every motherfucker, including Sony Pictures Entertainment, 
is still on the motherfucking hook. Because the statute of limitation has not expired. Because what's happening continues to happen. That's ongoing. And I intend to get revenge. And I intend to get justice. Because I want to see these motherfucking architects sitting on death's fucking row. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.